morning, church. You're looking awesome this Sunday morning. Spin to the person next to you and pay them a compliment. Tell them how great they're looking. Give them a handshake. (laughs) So good. (laughs) You can grab a seat as you do that. Awesome. It's funny. Funny watching some of you not do it. It's quite amusing. (laughs) Well, here we are this morning. It's Palm Sunday. Um, some of us know who that, what that is, some of us don't. Palm Sunday marks the beginning of what is called Passion Week, and I want to show it to you in a diagram. Um, so today is Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem a week before his crucifixion, and um, all the Jewish people laid down palm branches. So it's quite a significant day that we're going to have a look at today. Then on Monday, he decided to cause a scene and go to church and destroy the place. So that was the day that he turned all the tables over in the temple, which is an amazing thing for you to have a read this week. Um, Then he goes on and and some final teachings. It's quite interesting. You know, what would you say if it was your last week? You know, so his final teachings there. Then on Thursday this week, we celebrate the time when Jesus had the Last Supper with his disciples and um, they ate the Passover meal, um, an amazing, significant night. And then he went into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He knew the next day was going to be the day he was crucified. So he goes into Gethsemane to pray late at night. Um, and early in the morning, Friday morning, he gets arrested in the garden. And then he's dragged before this bogus trial that goes for a couple of hours Um, And then by 6 a.m., he is sentenced by Pontius Pilate, uh, 9 a.m., crucified, midday. We know the story that the whole earth goes dark, and then he passes away on the cross in the afternoon. So Easter Sunday is the good news. When he's awake again, he's alive, he's come out of the tomb. Um, But that's Passion Week. So I pray that this week, as you go through your days... You're aware of just how significant this whole week is. This is the most important event in the Christian calendar is Easter. And so today I'm really excited to share around Palm Sunday because um, I, I just, I love today and what it signifies for us. I mean, I love all of Easter, but Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday was a significant day for the Jewish people. And the title of my message this morning is uh, What to Do When Things Aren't As You Expect. (laughs) I see some of you kind of chuckle to yourself. Anyone ever experienced the expectation gap? You know, I kind of thought it was meant to be like this. It's really not looking like I expected it to look. And you sort of ask yourself the question, God, I thought you said this. Uh, did I miss a couple of the memos along the way? Because it's not really looking the way I expected it to look. What page are you on? Can I catch up? Like, we're definitely not on the right page. Anyone with me? Like, what do you do when, when things aren't as you expect them to be? And often life can be like that. It doesn't meet our expectations. And so it's called the expectation gap. What do you do when life isn't the way you expect it to be? In Isaiah, God tells us, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And often we can experience this sense of, I'm not tracking with you, God. I need to catch up. Or can you catch up with me? Like, can we get on the same page here? And so today, 
I want us to look at it, this, you know, the, the retelling of Palm Sunday because all of God's people, all the Jews on this day more than 2,000 years ago experienced a severe expectation gap because for hundreds of years they had been in and out of captivity, in and out of slavery for hundreds of years, for generations. And the scriptures told God's people that he was sending them a rescuer. They told God's people that he was going to come to the rescue, that he was going to send them a king, that he was going to send them this mighty, mighty king that was going to overturn the oppressive rule that they were constantly being put under, and that he was going to set them free once and for all. And so, you know, my imagination kind of pictures what this looks like with all of God's people, Jewish people, for hundreds of years, gathering around campfires. I can imagine you know, granddad, the patriarch of the family, calling all the kids in. Hey, come and gather around. This is what God says. God's promising us that he's going to send us a deliverer. He's going to send us a savior and he's going to be mighty and everything's going to change and and he's going to change politics and he's going to change everything for us. We're going to be free. And the kids would be sitting there, you know, in the firelight, listening to granddad, never getting tired of these stories. And then they would grow old and pass it down to their children. And so here we are. It's now time. It's now time. And today's the day, Palm Sunday, more than 2,000 years ago. Today's the day the foretelling is finally going to come to pass. And they go to welcome the king. And he comes, here comes Jesus, and he's not a king, and he's not a military champion. He's actually just a random carpenter with a bunch of misfit followers that have hung around him for three years. And he's not riding in on a white stallion, he's riding in on a donkey. And it's actually not just a donkey, it's the donkey's baby. He's, they're like, this isn't what we expected. Have you ever been like that? This isn't what it was meant to look like. Um, I'm confused. I want to tell you this morning that your rescue will not look like a rescue. I want to tell you in God, often your rescue doesn't look much like a rescue. And so I want us to have a look out of this retelling out of Palm Sunday. Actually, what do we do when things aren't what they seem to be? And aren't the way we thought they should be. Can we read it together in Matthew 21? It's in all the Gospels. We'll read it out of Matthew's Gospel in the New Testament. Matthew 21. Now they drew near. So this is Jesus and his disciples. Drew near to Jerusalem, God's city. And they came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. When Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied up and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled, that which was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, which means God's people and God's dwelling place, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They laid their clothes on them and set Jesus on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the palm trees and spread them on the road. 
Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out aloud, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Verse 10, And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude replied, It's Jesus, the guy from Nazareth. Not, it's Jesus, our great mighty king. It's the random guy that we kind of are really confused about. (laughs) And so what do we do when we're like, "Um, God, are you sure? Are you sure? This isn't what I expected to do, to be, to end up, when it's not as as we expected. The first thing I notice, and the first thing we have to do when life isn't turning out the way we thought it would, is to simplify everything. Simplicity. You need humility to simplify things. You need this sense of cutting back, culling back all the complexities. We can overcomplicate things. We can overcomplicate things. And says in verse 2, he said to them, go into the village and you'll find a donkey, you'll find a colt. And this is the thing is that he said to them, loose them and bring them to me. He said, I want to ride on the donkey, a donkey's colt, not a white stallion or a war horse. And it wasn't a king or a captain of an army. It was a random carpenter's son. I want to ask you this morning, could the very thing that you're being ashamed of be the thing that God wants to use in your life? I want to ask you, is the thing that's framing your no to God actually be the thing he wants to use in your yes? I want to ask you, is the thing that you're trying to bind up the very thing he wants to loose? The thing that the devil is using to keep you ashamed and embarrassed of yourself, is that actually the thing he wants to use? Because I've noticed that God loves not the shiny, flashy, glamorous things. He loves the humble, genuine, hardworking, get things done kind of things. He loves the honest, genuine version of ourselves. And I want to remind us all this morning, no one believes the white stallion version of you. No one's buying that. You aren't buying the white stallion version of me. We all want to know that most of us are like the rest of us. And God steps into our lives and uses the humble things in our lives to bring change to us and through us. What I've noticed is that God has taken all of my excuses and made them the very things he uses to change the world around me. God takes the things I thought disqualified me and makes them the very things that make me credible. God takes my mess and makes it my message. The thing that you've struggled with and you're trying to hide and you're trying to bind up as that embarrassing cult is the thing that God goes, no, I'm going to ride in on that. I'm going to ride in on that. And when things aren't working out the way we expect, we just need to take a few steps back and simplify things. We need to simplify things. In 1 Corinthians, it says that God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He loves to do that. Just when we think we're so smart, God's like, forget all that. I'm going to use this, that embarrassing part of your life, 
that shameful part of your life, that thing you thought disqualified you, and I'm going to thrust that before people so that they can relate to you and so that they can go, wow, if God can do that for them, then they can, he can do that for me. It makes you a real person and it makes God, God. When you can say, only God can do this. Only God can do this. I'm not clever enough, smart enough, you know, equipped enough to do this because God uses the foolish things in our lives to confound the wise. And it goes on in 2 Corinthians, it tells us, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. The truth is many people say that scripture and they quote it wrong. They say, when I'm weak, then he is strong. No, it says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong because it reminds us it reminds us of who we are. I want to encourage you this morning. Where is that, that, that donkey's cult, that, that embarrassing part of your life that you're trying to bind up? Is that the very thing God wants to use? Right. Are you saying no yeah. when you should be saying yes? Yeah. Right. Are you saying, but it doesn't look right, God, when it's absolutely perfect? Yeah. It's exactly what he wants okay. to use. Maybe your no needs to turn into a simple yes today and understand that when something is simple, it's potent. It's powerful. And in Proverbs, all the way through Proverbs, God tells us that he is the God of the straight path. He is the God of the uncomplicated. He is the God of the straight and narrow, honest, non-presumptuous, humble, uncomplicated. We need to simplify things when things don't look the way we thought they would. Often it's because we're choosing to say no when God's going, that, that, that's what I want to use. That's actually what I want to use. The second thing I notice about this is in verse 8, it says that they spread their clothes on the road and they laid palm branches out on the road. They laid their very own clothes. They took their clothes off their backs and rolled out the red carpet. They made a carpet for Jesus out of their clothes and out of palm branches, the things that they used to adorn themselves, to cover themselves up, they took off and they put them under Jesus' feet. And sometimes we need to do that. And I looked at what a palm branch actually signifies and right through the scripture in Kings, in uh, Psalms, in Proverbs, it talks about a palm branch being a symbol of victory. So palm branches were engraved on the temple. When Solomon built the temple, he engraved palm branches, it tells us in Kings, um, on the wood because it was a sign of victory. It was a sign of power. It was a sign of overcoming and justice and good. And it was a sign of power. And we read that many, many times, and not just in the Bible, but in history books, palm branches were being waved after a victory in battle when when the champions would come riding back into town. And so they're laying out these palm branches. What are they doing? Do you know they're laying down their agendas? They're handing authority over to Jesus and acknowledging him as king. They're giving him a kingly welcome, even though he doesn't look like a king. And sometimes we need to make a shift by choice, not emotion, (laughs) to actually treat him as a king, even though it doesn't look right. Even though it doesn't look victorious, even though it's confusing, he's not looking like a military commander on a white stallion, but we're still going to treat him as though he is. He's not looking like a king that can overturn my situation, but I'm going to treat him as though he is, 
Do you know, that's faith. That's faith. Church, faith is, we're a people of faith, aren't we? That's what we are. We're a people of faith. And faith is celebrating even when it doesn't make sense. Faith is trusting even when it doesn't look right. That's what faith is. Faith is not a 10-point outline that God's going to give you on a silver platter. That doesn't take faith. Faith is going, I don't understand God, but I trust you and I'm going to surrender. And my second point is they had this heart of surrender. I want to ask you, when things go wrong and they don't look the way you expected them to look, are you able to lay down your agenda? Are you able to lay it down and give him the authority to say, I don't understand and you don't look like this this God I expected, but I'm going to treat you as though you are. That's what faith is. And that comes from a place of trust, a place of wisdom, a place of discernment, a place that silences emotion and circumstance and says, I'm going to lay down my palm branches, even though I don't feel like it even though I don't understand, it's a place of surrender and submission. You know, many people try to analyze and explain their situation, and in doing so, they work themselves out of the plan of God for their lives. I see it time and time again. Yesterday, we were at a a wedding of a beautiful young couple that Sam and I have had a lot to do with over the years. And when she was in grade nine, Uh, Sam and I were still youth pastors then. And when she was in grade nine, she met Jesus for the first time. And she was in a state school and she came along to youth group, met Jesus, and she was in life group every week after that. She joined my life group. You know, she was the only um, non-Christian kid in my life group. The rest of them were brought up in beautiful Christian homes. But she was asking, you know, those really fresh questions that would shake all of us and remind us all about what this is all about. And, and, you know, by the time she was in grade 10, she was asking me for a bus so that she could fill the bus on Friday nights to get her, her friends to youth. And then, uh, you know, a little while later, she decided she wanted to start a prayer meeting in her school. So she asked her principal of her state school if she could have a prayer meeting. He said no. Um, and so she asked again, and he said no. And so she decided that she would petition the school and got hundreds of names. (laughs) And so eventually the principal said, okay, you can have a prayer meeting. You know, by the time she was in grade 12, she was the school captain and just carried influence in this school. But the amazing thing about this girl is that she lived a story that unfortunately is not mine to tell you. But all I can tell you is that every step of the way, every time her life didn't look the way she expected it to look, she surrendered and she trusted and she did the simple things and just trusted. And yesterday I sat there in her wedding ceremony and I just cried and cried because I remembered and I witnessed again before my eyes the goodness of God. The goodness of God as she stood there, this girl, and knowing what she's come through and the decisions she's made, marrying this amazing godly man, stepping into an incredible godly family, and her future literally is blinding. I realized, you know what, but God's good to everyone. It's just that not everyone responds properly. She's chosen to respond properly even when life didn't look the way she thought it would look. 
I want to ask you, when it doesn't look that way, are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to submit in that moment? Can you lay it down? Because you know what? His rescue plan never looks the way we expect it to look. Never does. Never does. And the third thing in verse 9 was their confession. They went before and behind and they cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You know, Hosanna literally means save us now. The powerful thing about this word is that it's an ancient, ancient word from the Hebrew language. When God's people were in captivity in the Old Testament, they used to say this word, Hosanna, and it was like a prayer request. We have prayer request forms that we encourage you to fill out when when there's an expectation gap, when you feel like you're in captivity, you feel like you're being bound up. And so this was like a prayer request. They would cry out, Hosanna, which meant, God, save us, rescue us. It was a prayer request. Except here, on this day, as Jesus is riding in, they're singing Hosanna and it takes on a different meaning. It starts to mean something totally different because they're seeing their salvation come. So it goes from a prayer request to a praise report. And so it shifts from God, please save us, to Jesus, you're our savior. It shifts. And you know, the, the most important thing when things don't turn out the way we expect them to turn out is to bring our salvation into right now. To understand Jesus isn't going to save me some down the tr- sometime down the track. He didn't do something for me just yesterday, but my salvation is with me right yeah. now. And this is what they did when they cried out, Hosanna. When they cried out, Hosanna, if I could have the team to come up. It moved from a different prayer request, from a desperate prayer request, to a triumphant victory cry. It went from God save us now to Jesus, you are our savior. And we have to realize this. We have to be constantly aware of this, that although he's our healer and he's so good to heal us, although he's our provider and he is so good and we live in blessing and prosperity because of his goodness, and you know he is our friend and he is our companion, but above all of that, He's our saviour. And salvation is right now. It's not a distant event. It's right now. Above all things, He is our saviour. So I've asked the team to prepare this song. And I'd love for you just to rest in this song called Hosanna, be ministered to um, as they sing. Thanks, Talia.
salvation when things aren't as we expect them to be is because when things aren't as we expect them to be, we feel our strength depleted, don't we? It's like we leak strength when things, it's like it takes the wind out of our sails, doesn't it? And this is the thing that I've learned as I've studied the Scriptures, is salvation gives you joy and joy gives you strength. Salvation gives you joy and joy gives you strength. It tells us in Hebrews that we're meant to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I want to tell you, it might not look right right now, but He's not finished. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. You need to look to Jesus. And then it goes on and it says, because for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. Well, what was the joy? I can't imagine that the cross was a very joyful experience that he was looking forward to. The joy was your salvation and mine. That's what he saw. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So salvation brings joy. But then it tells us in Nehemiah, don't be sad because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so when the wind has come out of your sails because life isn't looking the way you expected it to look, what you need to do is remember, Hosanna, my Lord has saved me. And you need to come back to that first love experience. The trouble with life is it tries to take you away from your first love. And as a point of discipline and as a point of choice, we need to come back to that moment of Hosanna. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It didn't happen yesterday. It's happening right now. My Hosanna moment, my salvation is right now. It's right now. And we enter His courts with what? Thanksgiving. And we enter His courts with that that posture of, of salvation and thanksgiving. Thank you, God, that you saved me. Thank you that you're here right now. When we come into His courts with praise, He enters our circumstances with power. I'd love for you to stand to your feet to this morning. The team's just going to play this through. I want to ask you, can you think back to the day that Jesus came riding into your world when you realised salvation had come to you? Where you realised how much He loved you? Because He's always loved you, but there was a time when you actually realised that for the first time. And it might have been when you were a teenager. It might have been when you were in a a valley, a deep situation you couldn't get out of and you cried out and Jesus came riding in in the most unexpected way. might have been last week. Someone here, it could be right now. I want us for a moment just to reflect on that. Bring yourself back to that first love again.
your eyes with me this morning. We're about to close the service, but I could not close this morning's service without offering you an invitation. You know, I sat in a service just like this once, and I heard a message about a God who loved me and came looking for me. At the end of that service, the preacher offered me an invitation to receive Jesus as the Lord and Saviour of my life. And I want to tell you that responding to that decision was the greatest, greatest thing I've ever done in my life. And so this morning, I want to extend the same invitation to you. Maybe you're here for the first time, hearing this for the first time. You're completely unaware that there was a God alive who loved you. You're completely unaware that your life matters and that you're here on purpose and that He loves you and intends for you. Maybe you've been a few times and and this has been something you've been wrestling with. Maybe you made this decision once before, but you walked away. Whatever your circumstance is, you honestly this morning know that the spiritual condition of your life isn't right. And today you want to respond, make Jesus the Lord and Saviour of your life. In a few moments, I'm going to count to three. And if that's you and you want to respond, I'd love for you to raise your hand. No one's looking but me. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. It's just a sign between you, me and God that you want to respond. When I count to three, I'd love for you to raise your hand so I can see it. One, if that's you, you need to know you are deeply loved by a God in heaven. Two, that's you. You need to know that He's not angry. He's not disappointed. He thinks you're amazing and His heart is extended towards you. Three, if that's you, would you give me a wave? I've already seen one hand. Is there anyone else? Awesome. Thank you. I see your hand. salvation. I thank you today that salvation is in this house. Father, that you have made your triumphant entry into the lives of men and women here, that hearts have been turned and responded to you. I thank you that in this moment when our hearts turn, that you call that repentance. When our hearts turn towards you and we realise our desperate need of you in our lives. Father, that in that moment, your love comes in like a flood, forgiveness, mercy, grace, Lord, in that moment, your scripture tells us the old has gone and the new has come. Your scripture tells us that you wash away our mistakes, our failures, our sins. You make us as white as snow. And your scripture also tells us that in that moment, we are adopted into your family as sons and daughters of a living God. And so I thank you this morning for more brothers and sisters. Lord, that your scripture tells us that there is more rejoicing in all of heaven over one sinner who comes back than the 99 who didn't need salvation. And so today, Father, I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you that you come in like a flood. I thank you for salvation in this house. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give them a round of applause. decision every week in their hearts. I know because I talk to them. I didn't raise my hand. You know what? That's okay. Sam's never raised his hand. I doubt whether he's even a Christian. (laughs) 
Do you know God sees our hearts? He sees our hearts. So you know what? If you've something shifted in you today, maybe you did raise your hand, maybe you didn't. I want to encourage you to tell someone. Tell someone. Hey, I made a decision because telling someone keeps you accountable to that decision and includes you in community. It means someone can come alongside you. I want to encourage you to keep coming on Sundays. I want to encourage you to read your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, please see us at the Yes Bar so we can give you a Bible and help you on your journey. Amen. Church, we're going to go out praising God this morning because He's good. Yes.